We're beginning a new series today and I'm really excited for it. It's called Blessed Beyond All Measure. And it is, as much as anything, a perspective change, isn't it? When we think about are we blessed by God? And this is our position in Christ. Uh, The Bible says we have blessing upon blessing if we are in Jesus Christ. And I wonder to what degree... Have we entered into that blessed state that we've been welcomed into by the favour of God? There's this idea I introduced you to a few weeks back, which was FWLW. First word, last word. Give the first word of your day to the Lord. Give the last word of your day to the Lord. This does tremendous things for our emotional health when we give the first word and the last word to God. And I wonder in the next few weeks throughout this series, if you might get up each morning and say, I am blessed because, and you finish the sentence in whatever's relevant for you in that given moment, but I am blessed because, and bring to mind something that you can be thankful for. And then as you finish each day, again, if you might say, I am blessed, I am blessed, and bring to mind, call to mind something through the day to which God has blessed you with. How would that do for our state of mind if we continually reminded ourselves, I am blessed in Jesus' name? I say it would be life-changing. It would pull us out of self-protection mode where I think our hands would kind of go from here, you know, protecting ourselves from the world and all its nasties, to here where we can more readily share, where we can more readily think about others, where we are people that are, generous in our posture to life and so the big idea of this series is comprehending that I'm blessed beyond all measure positions me to share comprehending that I'm blessed beyond all measure positions me to share I can live with my hands open like that when I realize I am blessed and this demonstration of God's unprovoked kindness to me is the trigger for all of this to begin to unravel so or unwind, I should say, in my life. So the, the, the series in a nutshell is right there. Understanding I am blessed beyond all measure positions me to share. For some of you, this will make perfect sense like right now. You're already living in this headspace. For others, it'll be a quantum mind shift to enter into a space where you adopt a generous posture to your life and you celebrate the fact that you do live blessed in Jesus Christ because one of the traps of the enemy is he tries to keep us in a poverty spirit where we kind of always operating with this mode of oh I don't have enough I am just scraping by and if we stop to reflect from a global perspective at least we would have to say we are truly blessed in this country we have so much to be thankful for and we need to adopt this attitude of gratitude can I be up front with you as your pastoral leader. Talking about generosity is not the easiest job in the world. It's a rather delicate matter. It it kind of reminds me of parents having to give the sex talk to their kids. It's kind of got that level of awkwardness about it. And uh, I remember back to my sex education with my parents where they came into the room one day and it's probably too little too late because about 60 seconds in I called a truce and I said, I already understand this stuff. And they said, well, that's a relief. Here's a book to take a look at. And they walked out. And that was the entirety of it. They were as awkward as I was. And so when it comes to the birds and bees discussion with our little girls, I have a very capable wife. And, 
And my rationale is they are two girls and I'm a bloke. And so you are far better equipped to speak into their life on this matter. You have an obvious advantage that I don't have. And I submit to you in Jesus' name. <laughs> Anyone convinced? <laughs> Standing up front and having the money talk has similar sentiments. But just as a sex education is part of growing up, so too the money talk. And Jesus doesn't share our awkwardness on this matter, actually. He talks about it an awful lot in the time that he spent here ministering to us. He spoke a ton about it. Jesus' parables, about a third of them were about financial management. So if Jesus were the preacher at Axis Church, guess what? You're going to get 15 sermons on money a year. You can be thankful you're dealing with my frequency and not his frequency. Yeah, you are blessed beyond all measure. The Bible has plenty to say on the topic, some 2,300 references to the management of our finance. And even in just the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one in 10 verses refer to the way we manage our money. Now, a thoughtful person should stand back and go, why God? Why continue to frequent a conversation that's awkward? I mean, is my money personal? It's nobody else's business. And God says, well, actually, I'm making it my business. I do have an opinion on the matter. And the Bible gives this rationale for that, that finance can threaten our faith like nothing else. Our attitude to finance, our love of money, if we let it become that, can threaten our faith like nothing else. In terms of whether I live a life to honour God, this is a key issue. If I don't face up to ordering my finances, it will own me. Left unchecked, it will take me away from Christ every single time. There's a definite danger presented in the New Testament on this matter. Jesus said it like this, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. It's impossible. You cannot live a life orientated around money and at the same time live a life orientated around Christ. It ends up being one or the other. Your life at some point, and maybe it's today for you, your life at some point will come to a crossroads and one sign will say Jesus and one sign will say money and you have to make a choice. What am I going to let control my life? Now there's more than one available idol that we can substitute for God but certainly this money one is at the top of the list in terms of what will threaten our faith, what we do with our money, how we think about what we possess is on the leaderboard in terms of, of, of what can get in the way of my walk with Christ. And I think Tim Keller's right though. We're not in love with money from the point of view of kissing the paper or in these days kissing the plastic. It's what money can do for us. He says it like this, money itself isn't usually an idol. It just shows you where your idols are. And alongside this quote is this, is this uh, stinging remark from John Wesley where he, he understands that money can easily shipwreck his faith and he says, when I have it, I get rid of it quickly lest it find a way into my heart. Strong words, hey. I'm supposing many of you have heard these things before if you've been around church for a while and you're probably going to say, John, I've heard quite enough. 
to be frank. I've heard so many money talks that are just high on control and I've reached a point of being nauseated by the conversation. And if we're listening to people outside the church, one of the key accusations they point at us inside the church is those churches, the only thing they care about is your money. You heard that? It's an often quoted thing from those who point from the outside. So is that true of Axis? Do we just want your money? Is that what this series is all about? Well, it's not my intention, but you get the right to decide that in the coming weeks. But if you are just so suspicious of a pastoral leader talking about this topic and you can't just trust the conversation, you're so cynical of it because you've just heard it so many times before or perhaps seen money mismanaged by the church so often and in your innermost thoughts you just go, I've got zero trust when it comes to this topic from churches. And here is our deal and I think I saw the treasurer arrive early so please just block your ears for the next minute David because I haven't cleared this with him but here's our deal it's just between you and me right just between you and me if you're so suspicious of the church and you have zero trust at all then don't give here but still give still give you're not off the hook if you're going to be a follower of Jesus you just must Enter into this life of generosity. It's a calling from him. So I'm not demanding you give here, but Jesus is demanding you operate in a spirit of generosity. It's a non-negotiable. If you want to be a Jesus follower, you must reconcile this area. You can't serve God and money. This weekend... I want you to open your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 9, or open your electronic device. 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to do a reading, which I'm going to return to at the back end of this series. And I hope over the next few weeks that giving can, can be a real shift, there can be a real shift in your attitude towards this. It can go from kind of being a drag to actually being a joy. I believe that can happen. I believe that can be your experience as it is Mine. So I want to just um, clip this passage this morning because as I say we'll be returning to it in a few weeks. But there's some broad principles here that I want to introduce you to. A couple of things that giving is not and a couple of things that giving is resulting from 2 Corinthians 9. I'm picking up at verse 6. It says this, remember this, <clears throat> a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You each must decide in your heart how much to give. Feeling pressure yet? Keep reading. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. That was don't do that. You heard it right. Here's why. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way. See, it can always be generous. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to it. 
with the time we have left today. I'm just going to pitch some broad tent pegs for this discussion that we can explore more in coming weeks. I want to provide you with two good reasons to give and two false motivations that should not drive you to giving. So I'm just the kind of guy who always likes to deal with the bad news first. So let's go with the two wrong motivations. Unworthy motivations for giving is covering the church bills. Covering the church bills. You say, John, I didn't see that in the passage that we just read. Correct. That's why it's a wrong motivation for giving. It's not in the picture. It's not in the passage, but it is in the minds of people. And I suspect if we surveyed the average church, that somewhere up in the range of 90% of the people would say, well, that's what I thought the giving was about. We need to keep the wheels of the organisation turning, don't we? Isn't that what it's about? Without our contribution, the establishment, in this case, Axis, wouldn't survive. Well, of course, there's some practical truth to it. But quite frankly, I want to relieve you of a false motivation today. It's a terrible incentive. It's not even close to what God has in mind in terms of our giving. And if anyone is giving their hard-earned cash to Axis because of this, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You need a reset. You're missing the point. You haven't discovered the heart of giving at all. The joy, the true motivation while we engage. And in case there's somebody else here who's giving nothing and suffering terribly for it, you're feeling loaded down by guilt because the church survival depends on me, doesn't it? I want to show you something, some relief for those that might be weighed down by guilt. Are you ready? It's a number. One, two, seven. 474. You say, what's that, Johnny? Your account details if I get in trouble? <laughs> no, it's Graham Carnell's account details. <laughs> Only joking. It's not even my PIN number. It's not even a helpline, although I tried ringing it yesterday. There's no jingle I have for you, you know, 127474 for all your financial needs. Nothing like that. So what is this random six-digit number that's up on the board? Well, you should be ready to cheer because this is how much Axis saved in the last financial year. How good is that? Woohoo! That represents a dollar figure, 127474 was the amazing amount that in the last financial year, ending in June, we saved. We intentionally saved towards our future. And I have consulted with the treasurer on this next point that I make. He says, without a doubt, it's the best shape Axis finances have ever been in. Isn't that so cool? Thank you, God. At a time like this, when, when society is so uncertain and everything's falling apart around us seemingly, check out that. How good is God? You say, John, I'm a little bit confused. Like, showing us that won't inspire us to give. I mean, you're, you're painting a picture like what I give is not really needed based on that. Well, not in trying to inspire you to give. If what you mean by giving is that we need money for our next electricity bill. I'm not interested in spying if that's an unworthy motivation for giving. Don't give based on the church meeting its expenses. That's not the reason we give. I have a story about being 16 on my first job after school. And uh, I went to church on this particular day and heard about an urgent need from a guest speaker. And my heart was moved by this 
urgent need that was presented. And I was 16, I'd been working part-time after school for about a year at this point in time, and I'd been saving up all my pennies, you know, $45 a week or whatever it was I earned at that point in time. And I was saving, saving, saving over a 12-month period, dreaming of this new motorbike. I, I'd managed to put together probably $1,500. And this need presented at church on this particular day uh, tugged at my heart heavily because the need was the amount I had in my account and I thought I could go and meet that need. Now mind you, it's going to empty me of 12 months of saving, but I really felt this deep prompting, do it, be generous. And so I did. I went to, to the bank, to the ATM and 16 years old, pulled out my year of savings and I went and gave it immediately to that need. And it felt amazing. It felt amazing. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it is. It felt amazing to be generous in that way. And I felt so much joy. I had a skip in my step all afternoon. And then that evening I happened to be down the street area. And I saw that same person in a restaurant. And I didn't have capacity at this stage of life as a 16-year-old to, to compute what was going on. But I saw this person in there eating at a restaurant and, and my 16-year-old self went, there's my years saving being eaten away with a celebration dinner. <laughs> and I couldn't cope with it. And it was so disappointing to me and it just frazzled me because I did it wrong. I gave to a bill instead of giving to God. Don't, don't give to a bill. Give to the Lord. Release it to him. And when you do, you're blessed within that. I give to God first and human needs second. I don't give to Access Church to help pay the bills. Of course, that's a byproduct. And churches all of us have bills, but that's not what's driving me. What if there's a multi-millionaire that comes in tomorrow? Lord, please bring him. What if there's a multi-millionaire <laughs> that comes in tomorrow and says, Jono, tell me what the church budget is for the entire year ahead, because I want to pay it all. What if that person walks through the door tomorrow and says, here it is, I'm paying for the entirety of the church budget for the coming year. Does that let me off the hook? Does that mean I would stop giving? What, what does that change for me? It doesn't change anything for me. I would continue on with my commitment to generosity. It doesn't change a thing because for me it's never been about the bills. It's been about returning to God. Unworthy motivations for giving church bills. Second, unworthy or false motivation, guilt and manipulation. Oh, the stories that could be told if we went around the room here, eh? The stories that could be told of when you're in a room and the pressure was hot, you better give or else. We've probably all been touched by that in some ways. Not a time for storytelling right now. Let's get on with what the scriptures say because this one is directly in our reading. 2 Corinthians 9.7, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Why? Because God loves a person who gives, don't miss this word, cheerfully cheerfully greek word translated cheerfully for us is hilarious from where we get the english word hilarious 
hilarious, giving is supposed to be hilarious experience. The greatest belly laugh in your week is supposed to be when you let go of the money and give it to God. That's a hilarious moment. It's a life-giving moment. It's fun. It's joyous. It's delightful. It's like you've just heard the best joke and you need to hold your stomach because you're getting out of control with laughter. That's an amazing reaction to think about in giving, isn't it? Hilarious. What a hilarious moment to be able to give to God. It's fun. It's supposed to be that. And for me, there's another element here to the, to the laugh. It's kind of like a scoff. Greed, you thought you were going to get my heart. Ha! Not a chance. Here I go again. Returning to the Lord, being generous. It's hilarious. Money, you thought that your false promises... Because of those, I was going to make you Lord of my life. Not a chance. Ha! And I scoff and I give again. It's hilarious that it thought it was going to suck me in and I scoff at it. I don't want to get caught up in the prestige that money tries fooling me with. I'm a giver. And every week as I give to God, I show my values. And a release comes of joy within that. As I surrender to God yet again, the one who brings everything to me richly to enjoy. I say all that because if you hit an environment where this spirit of joy is kind of foreign and it becomes about guilt and manipulation, you know, you better give or, or, or else. And, and, and the environment you're in doesn't pass the sniffer test. Something around here is not feeling very much like fun. This isn't feeling like a joyful experience that I've been welcomed into. This sounds like guilt. This sounds like manipulation. This sounds like control. This sounds like competition. This sounds like a threat. And that's not passing the sniffer test. And you ought to back out of that situation because that's not what God is calling us into. I've been in some environments where five minutes in, my wallet has been coming out. And because I've been shown a need, or even better, I've been shown a vision that I could invest in, and, and I'm ready to give. And then because it, they went on and conducted themselves in such a way that after 25 minutes, my wallet got tucked back in my pocket. Because the environment changed and my mind shift went from I want to be generous to you're trying to guilt me. And Joy left the building, and I intend to leave the building soon because I want to go and watch some cricket. You've lost me because you've just made it all about guilt and manipulation. Church, don't let those things move you to give. They're so undeserving. It's not where the Lord wants his people to be. The call towards generosity has nothing to do with these things. Bad news done. Let's get on with the good news. What is a godly motivation for giving? A good motivation to give is in order to grow in trust. In order to grow in trust, it seems to me that giving is almost always an opportunity to grow in trust. Generous giving. 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. And then it goes on to say, God will generously provide all you need. And then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So where's the trust element in there? Well, it's almost always a, a game of trust when you are 
generously giving when you're going above and beyond. But in the context of this particular scripture, the trust element is that verse 8 comes after verse 7. What do you mean? Well, verse 7 talks about giving generously, and then verse 8 talks about the abundance God will bring as a result. Don't you want that order to be the other way around? I sure do. I want to build the nest egg. I want the abundance so I can feel safe. And then when the needs of me and my family and everybody else I could think about and met then, and only then I would think about being generous. This is why it's a, a trust thing because you give at times, I give at times where I'm like, oh, I don't know where all this is going to land. But I'm going to be generous anyway. And God wants our trust. Maybe because our trust is the highest form of compliment we can give to anyone, but in all areas of our faith, well, God wants our trust, but certainly in this area of finance. And you're pretty much in your walk with Christ, got to go out on the limb to get the best results. You don't get growth by clinging to the trunk. That's what we want to do, don't we? We're like, oh, I want the safety. I want the comfort zone. I want to feel sure about things and we cling to the trunk and God says get it. get out there on the branch no that's not far enough get out get out there a little further and you're like oh, I can hear it creaking <laughs> it's gonna break if I go any further it'll be a bit further a bit further keep going keep going and you're out there swinging on this branch here and you know, the tree's crackling around you like, Lord, what? What are you trying to do to me? I don't feel safe. I don't feel secure anymore. And he says, John, well, what was your security based in again? Ah, oh, okay. Okay, I guess I'll get out here on the branch, on the edge. Don't you wish verse 8 came before verse 7 in 2 Corinthians. I, I certainly do. I wish I could rewrite it for you, but my testimony is that's how this stuff works. It works out on the, on the branch where there's a bit of risk attached. And then in verse 8, God says, I'll provide everything you need and leftovers to share. But Lord, it doesn't feel sustainable out there. Where will I be at in 10 years' time? The father replies, Jono, leave it with me. My biggest miracles in the financial space are, have always been out in the creaky branches. Always. Always. Now, I'm in no way reckless in this area, but there's been many times when my back's been to the wall because of the generosity that I like to adopt. And I've never grown an appetite for this limb business, don't get me wrong. Oh, I hate being out there as much as many as you do. I hate being out there. But, but when I've been out there, this is when divine intervention seems to strike best. Many, many times. In 2016, we were led to sell our property in Victoria. And it was a really, really tough decision for us because we, we knew, apart from a miracle, we would never be homeowners again once we gave up that. But the word of the Lord came to Yvonne and I very, very clearly, put the house in the market, and straight away, straight away, immediately got a bid that met our expectations. Straight away. Like, I think if it wasn't first open day, it was like day after, it was almost immediate. The, the offer came through, and everything seemed to be working out smooth. 
So we went ahead and got into another rental property, which was far better than the house we were living in. And then as the uh, legal processes began about selling a house, and if you've had anything to do with this, you may appreciate some of this detail. The building inspection happened and there was just a wee small discovery at that point in time. One of the rooms weren't signed off to, to, in regards to council regulations. And we're like, oh, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, that means that uh, that person isn't interested in buying if that were the case. But the real estate agent said to me, I've got an easy fix for you because every seven years in this council, all permits get renewed anyway. So you just have to tell them that that work was done seven years ago and it won't matter. Won't matter. We can just say the room is doesn't, doesn't matter that it wasn't approved when the works were done because seven years have passed. Therefore, it's regarded as safe now. If any accidents were going to happen, it's already happened. So uh, I looked at the paperwork, and the paperwork said all that work was done six years ago. Well, this is an easy fix, isn't it? I can just say it was seven. It was just going to be my words, the real estate agent. That was going to be enough for her to go back to the potential buyer and say, "Yeah, they're done seven years ago, so with nothing to worry about." Sorry, I can't lie. The works were done six years ago. Really, you're going to play it that way? Yes, I'm going to play it that way. And in fact, every single next person that comes interested in that property, tell them that about the problem on that room. Straight up front, we're going to be honest. Wow, okay. Well, thank you for that because most people would just tell me to hide these sort of details. No, don't hide them. Tell them, people, exactly the true story. Meanwhile, we're in another property now and starting to pay rent and have a mortgage. What are we going to do? That took four months to resolve. We go, well, it's only four months. I try living it. Four months felt like an eternity because we didn't have the funds to to manage two properties at the same time. What were we going to do? Well, all sorts of scenarios start playing in your head, don't they? But near the top of the list, well, so, well I guess I just have to stop giving for a while because clearly we're not in a position to do it through this period. No, not an option. I will continue with my commitment to be generous. I'll get out there on the branch see what God does. Supernaturally, through those four months, four separate gifts come into our account. We, we didn't give anybody a sulk story. We weren't, we weren't going around crying poor me. Nobody knew our business. But four times over those four months, God came through in supernatural ways. And we continued to be generous, even a time like that. And that seems to me to be the times where, where, the, where the provision comes through most profoundly is when you're way out there on the edge on a branch where you're going, it's either God or bust. And God goes, cool, I've been wanting to get you in this position for a while so I could teach you to trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Generosity first and abundance comes second. Sorry to break it to you. It's how the word puts it. Good motivations for giving in order to grow in trust and as a response to a generous father. As a response to a generous father. Giving is not about manipulation or guilt or shame that was spoken of. It's a response 
to a generous father and the way he has treated me. And because I am blessed beyond measure by a gracious God, I've been moved. I've been moved. My heart has been changed and open and I want to be generous. I'm not conjuring up some kind of deep internal desire to want to do it. I'm blessed beyond all measure. So how could I not be a giver? Every good and perfect gift that comes into my life comes down from the Father. The latte you enjoyed this morning, a good and perfect gift from a loving Father, especially if it was a double shot. The long hug you got from your loved one, a good and perfect gift from a loving God. The clean drinking water that flows out of your taps, Good and perfect gifts from a loving father. The car that gets you from point A to point B. But John, it's not as good as my neighbours. So what? It works. Gets you around. Good and perfect gift from a loving father. How could I live self-censored in view of all that God has done for me? In response to the goodness of God, my life bursts forward in generosity. I've been touched by lavish grace, so I pass that on. So giving never starts with me and giving never ends with me. It's just simply the response to loving God. He's blessed me. I return it. He continues to bless. He continues to fill my cup. I am blessed, so therefore I want to be a blessing. It's part and parcel of my response to God's initiative this is my response it's all it is it's my response to how God has treated me and I'm so moved by that 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 I overflow in my interactions with the world and I contend that it's impossible it's impossible to really understand you're blessed beyond measure and maintain this kind of posture if you know you're blessed beyond measure you can't help but open your hand and be ready to share on the board I have a picture of my youngest daughter and she is a replica of her mother we, we cannot believe in terms of looks how much she looks like her mum we, we often call her mini Yvonne she is she's just a smitten image of her mum but she not only looks like her mum, she acts like her mum. If you caught a fly fish and handed it to a vine, you would get a look just like that. A look of disgust, like, ooh, yuck, can't handle this thing wriggling on me. How is it that someone seven years old can be so well honed in acting like someone much older? Well... Because there's genetics, because there's a relationship, because there's a connection. If God is a generous father and I'm in his family, I'd bear resemblance. People would look at me and go, wow, something different about that guy. I mean, he, 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 he reminds me of someone. He looks just like someone I know. If God is a generous father and I'm in his family, I'd be generous, wouldn't I? I'd have that family resemblance. I would look just like him. What an amazing picture. We are blessed beyond all measure.